Welcome to the DSTL podcast, a podcast that goes behind the scenes at the Defence Science and Technology Laboratory to speak to the scientists, analysts, engineers and support staff who make up the diverse workforce, asking who they are and what they do. My name is Tom and this is the DSTL podcast. This time I am joined here in the lovely Portsdown West canteen by Katie. Hello Katie. Hi Tom. Thank you very much for joining me on, on this uh, lovely sunny day. Thank you for joining me. Uh, Katie, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do at DSTL? Yeah, sure. So I'm in the Wargaming and Historical Analysis team. Uh, I've been in that team since November and before that I was a maritime analyst um, for about a year. I generally do like design of war games on a daily basis. Um, so we have half the team that, that's dedicated to historical analysis and then the other half, which is my half, where we do um, war games and design them for different parts of defence depending on the requirement. Now, you told me earlier that you did a was it a master's degree in maths. I did. Um, yes. How how does maths translate into into wargaming? How is that used? So it's quite often the statistics side of maths, um, which wasn't my strong point at university. Uh, but it's also the logical thinking and thinking through a problem. So lots of the time we're given quite complicated areas. It might be something like um, communications and control and things like that. So we have to think of a logical way to represent the problems that can show in that with losing logical outputs and quite often risk and chance to show things going wrong. So I, I kind of use the logical side more than actually using equations, which is quite nice. <laughs> yeah, when I think of wargaming, my mind is instantly drawn to things like Command and Conquer, which is a game I used to play on the PC many years ago. How does real-life wargaming sort of compare to what you would see like in a computer game? Um, so some of our some of our um, war games are actually based on computer games. So oh, we have really? a whole side of simulation war gaming that is that we, we sometimes use um, commercial off the shelf products, um, such as one we're using at the moment. It's called Kamano. That that's kind of an American based off the shelf um, product that we use to, to do simulations we also have some DSTL made simulations that we use as well but we also have your typical big map on a table with counters or with little models uh, we recently got a 3D printer so we're having fun with making models with that where you work through a problem and it's more talking around a table and moving bits about so we kind of have a combination of that simulation and manual wargaming. Yeah, I was going to ask do you have like a big map like a sort of uh, you know you go into these um, it's, it's almost like you go past the shop window in the town and they've got the modelling shop yes kind of that, I was yeah. trying to think of what it was I couldn't think of the name of it like Warhammer kind of thing you know yeah. what you kind so of use is that... we don't tend to have 3D maps themselves because it's generally the nice thing about wargaming is it can be quite quick to set up so we tend to have big printed maps that are just on paper right. um, but then you have kind of 3D models or counters that, that tend to be used to represent the different units Sometimes they're really big and take up a whole room. Sometimes they're quite small. Um, so depending on the war game and what we're representing, depends on how we set it up. And sometimes it's really quick, really simple. Other times it goes into quite a bit more detail. Right. And is it is it just kind of land-based stuff, or do you do stuff with like the Royal Navy and the, and the RAF, or is it just kind of the army that you work with? So it was mostly land for quite a long time. It always used to be more air and naval. Um, DSTL's mostly done land for a long time, but we're now branching out. Uh, so the um, last lot of war gaming I did was maritime, mainly looking at logistics. I'm currently working on a war game for the RAF looking at command and control and how we can represent that but there's also war games coming up in information manoeuvre and things like that so looking at how we um, try to kind of deter the enemy or what we could do to affect kind of the more social sides of, of war. I don't know how much of this you can talk about but how does war gaming work with like submarines and things is that is that is that a completely different world I mean because it's obviously it's submarine. <laughs> yeah so subsurface 
ones are quite interesting because it's a really big ocean and there's normally yeah. one thing you're looking for, so that right. can be quite difficult. Um, it can be quite hard to find a scenario where you're pretty much guaranteed to find a submarine and see what that would look like, which which makes it a really interesting problem. Plus, it's in 3D, which when you're trying to look at something on a 2D map on the table to try and represent that it's all on different layers and kind of the, the effects of salinity is something we're looking at because that's a really interesting problem to solve. Same with air as well, because that's another 3D problem and radars kind of because they go up in a cone rather than just being a particular circle, mm -hmm. trying to figure out detection ranges and stuff. And a 2D model is, is really interesting, so they're problems we're looking at trying to solve at the moment. Okay, moving away from your actual day job, as it were, I know that you're in, sort of involved with the uh, wargaming historical analysis side of things. Can you talk a little bit about that and tell us what that is? Yeah, so historical analysis, um, as much as it's not my area, we, we interact with it quite a lot, so we'll get studies done um, to look at what has happened historically in certain situations so whatever the situation might be that we're looking at um, whether it's maritime whether it's land we'll get our historical analysts to go through archives of data and try and find trends as to what's happened already where we might have had shortfalls in the past and what we could look at doing now and tactics that might have been used so one example of that is in um, arctic warfare trying to look at where in the past we've had to fight up in the Arctic environments and what kind of tools and techniques we might use if that was ever to be a problem, especially now that um, the Royal Marines have signed a contract with Norway for the next 10 years to go and exercise with them once a year um, to get to work on their winter training as they're, they're kind of the winter specialists within the within defence. I know it's a cliche, but war never changes, but with like the advance of technology, how easy is it to relate things that have happened in the past, uh, a military defeat or a, a victory to kind of modern day military tactics is, is there a lot of correlation some things can be quite different we do we do tend to fight differently to how we used to but there's also chances that you could end up not having comms for whatever reason in an area you know if telephone masts fall down anything like that you might not be able to talk to each other so mm. you might have to go back to more the ways we used to fight um, it's not always going to happen but it's also good to look at that and just to see what tactics they used and then add in future concepts or current technologies to see how it changes yeah. so that's something we quite often look at and we might use something that happened before as a baseline How far back does historical analysis go on because if you you can go all the way back to I suppose the Romans can't you but you know British yeah. troops aren't walking around with massive shields like from forests so, so <laughs> it very much depends on the problem and where right. we've fought before sometimes they might go back quite far also depends on the analyst you've got working on it because our historical analysts have studied all kinds of different things at university so mm. it depends where, where they sit um, but I mean some of the lecture series that we have here go go all the way back to kind of like Romans and before. It's always not good to know how we used to fight, even if, yeah, things might have changed because even just simple things from horse and cart to cars, it makes yeah, a difference. Yeah. A friend of mine, he is a video game developer and he yeah. created a game that was based on the Battle of Teutoburg Forest, which is a thing that happened in like Roman times. Yeah. So he would constantly talk to me about this study that he was doing. So that's why I know a little bit about that because he would just constantly rub it at me about the Battle of Teutoburg Forest. So I looked into it and it was really interesting. So that's why I asked about how far back yeah. uh, historical analysis goes. Um, it can be a really long way, but yeah. we tend to look at that we have more records of the more recent stuff. Yeah, so yeah. if you're looking at kind of more modern day conflicts, it will be going back as far as records go. Now you touched a little bit about how you have been working in the Arctic. You recently were with the Royal Marines uh, in Norway. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that? So I was really lucky. Um, we got a requirement from the Royal Marines. That, so they now that they've signed up to go to Norway once a year, um, they were out there in February this year and through into March, I think. They were there for quite a while. Um, 
and we got asked as part of an academic weekend that they were putting on to try and learn a bit more about the historical things that have happened there. Um, they asked us to go and put a war game on to consolidate their learning from the weekend. So it was, uh, we got invited up from the Thursday through to the Tuesday. Um, got to go up and see them exercising on the mountain with um, mortar fire and uh, doing some long range fires. Was over that live mountain. firing, was it? Yeah, yeah, live firing, which was amazing until we got hit by a strong blizzard and <laughs> had to rush back down in Vikings before we got stuck. Um, but it was amazing to experience the conditions that they have to go through. I mean, it was bitterly cold. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> what was your actual role kind of on the on the battlefield, as it were? Were you kind of observing? and? We were just observing, yeah, um, and falling over in the snow and providing entertainment because trying to walk in six foot snow is really really difficult <laughs> 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 and I fell on my face quite a few times um, which was fun but yeah I got to experience what it's like to travel in a Viking especially when you're going up a mountain and it's slipping and sliding everywhere which is interesting um, and then seeing the firing and how that works and how they coordinate fires between different groups and then got to yeah, travel back down and then over the weekend they did a bunch of lectures and we got to listen to um, a historian from the UK but also a historian that's in the army in Norway uh, so really interesting listening to how they train and how they deal with the adverse conditions right up in the in the high north. And then um, on the Sunday, we consolidated all of their learning by putting on a historically based war game, which was looking at the Russians coming into Finland um, and getting stuck because they were in um, heavy vehicles that weren't designed to go off road. And that was that was based on a World War Two. Yeah, kind of oh, yeah, it's winter war reenactment. Right. Um, so they went in. Um, unsuitable vehicles got stuck not suitable clothing so were having to light fires to keep themselves warm and then you had an agile force formed by the Finns um, where they were on skis and able to shoot in and out on their skis and stay undetected and actually had saunas built in the snow to keep themselves warm um, whereas the Russians were out there freezing and managed to to destroy it was was a massive defeat I think it was something like 8,000 Finns versus 20 something thousand Russians and the Finns won. Absolutely fascinating when you think of like the the Russian war machine in, in World War II you kind of the, the images of this like kind of a huge machine that just comes across the, the tundra with yeah. the tanks and the, and the soldiers just destroying everything in its way but to hear about how the Russians which come from a you know a, a cold snowy country mm-hmm. <laughs> you'd think that they would be you know walking to Norway and, and Finland yeah. with, with their machines and no, the, the lack of infrastructure and the fact that they were surrounded by frozen lakes and really deep snow they just couldn't get anywhere and if they mm. tried to escape on the lakes the Finns shot the lakes out from under them so they froze so it was it was pretty incredible the way that they managed to do it but it meant that with the marines training to be this agile arctic force learning to ski it's the techniques that they could use if that ever had to be used against a force that's probably more heavy based so who, who were the marines playing as were they playing as the Finns? and uh so just during the, it was mostly up there for training okay um so we used both sides we put right. them as the people who were stuck and the people who were fighting mm-hmm. just so that they could get an idea because it was really interesting seeing them trying to work out how they'd battle that kind of heavy machine kind of side against the, the high high mobility force so yeah it was really it was really interesting to see them play both sides and they really enjoyed it and the guys who got to play red were, were really shocked at how much of a difference it made but yeah, they, they kind of got stuck there and couldn't move so it made them very grateful for the training they were getting where they could sit around on their skis as much as some of them were quite new and learning to ski yeah. for the first time which... I've never skied myself so I'd be pretty useless <laughs> so. I've done it a couple of times I'm not very good <laughs> how, did you, how did you come to work at, at DSTL? What was the path that you took? So I, um, I did my Masters in Maths up in Norwich at UEA um, 
which I enjoyed, but then I didn't know what I wanted to do when I left. So I worked as a carer for a while, I did some bar work, I had a multitude of jobs for about two years, um, moved back home to live with my parents. And then uh, one of my friends from university actually turned around to me and said that it's probably about time that I use my degree um, and that he worked here and he really enjoyed it. So he gave me the details and I applied and, and got the job. So I started here in August 2017 and yeah, started as a maritime analyst and now, now doing wargaming. Discovered the love of board gaming throughout that as well. So. Did you have any interest in, in wargaming or anything Not like that? Not at all. I was never or... really into board games either. I used really? to get quite fed up with them as a kid. And yeah, working here, it was, it was getting pulled onto projects where wargaming was a small element. Mm. Um, and then discovering board gaming and also discovering Dungeons and Dragons outside of work as well. Um, and realising that I actually quite like that area. And then, um, yeah, moved across when uh, working on a really big wargame last November. Decided that that was what I wanted to do. Um, I kind of ended up being involved by accident. Yeah, yeah. really enjoyed it, so stayed stayed with that. Are you a force to be reckoned with at risk now then? <laughs> I've never actually played Risk. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those that are generally banned for not being actually that good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> by, by the avid gamers, <laughs> which I now have to be one of. <laughs> and, and as well as kind of wargaming, do you have any other interesting skills or hobbies or anything that you're interested in outside uh, of work? I, li- I like dancing. Um, I do I do a bit of swing and lindy hop dancing but I'm very new and not very good um, right. but I'd like to do that for fun and then most of the time it's yeah board games and things like that so I don't actually know what that is what, what kind of uh, so swing and lindy hop's like a kind of 1940s to 60s kind of style of dancing um, along to kind of swing swing music um, and big bands oh right kind of like um, when you get the images of like the 1940s like the, the, uh, the war years yeah. that kind of thing yeah, uh, the, yeah. but okay. it's partner dancing and it's, right. it's really good fun it's quite Excellent. fluid and well it's been really fascinating speaking to you and I appreciate you taking time out to come and uh, now tell us a little bit about what you do here at DSTR. That's and, my pleasure. Yeah, um, Katie, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. That's all right. Thank you very much for having me. I've been your host, Tom. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the DSTL podcast. If you'd like to know more about DSTL, you can find us online at gov.uk forward slash DSTL or on social at DSTL mod. Until next time, thank you very much for listening.